0: At John chapter 16. This is Jesus preparing the disciples for what will happen after he is gone. He says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. I want to just look at me for a minute. I want to make it clear. When Jesus was here, if we needed to get close to him, to be touched by him, healed or delivered, we had to be physically where He was. He says, it's to your advantage that I leave and send the Holy Spirit. Because now we don't have to go and look for Him around the Sea of Galilee or in Nazareth or in Jerusalem. Now we can simply come to the Father and ask for the Holy Spirit to do the work in us that we need to be done. So He's omnipresent, of course. He's everywhere. Where we need Him, that's where He is. And so, it's to our advantage. So, let's go on with verse 7. It is to your advantage that I go away, Jesus said, for if I do not go away, the Helper shall not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify Me, and He shall take of Mine, and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore I say that He takes of Mine and will disclose it to you. There's so many things that Jesus said the Holy Spirit wants to do. First of all, it's for our advantage. But He will convict the world of sin, He will show us righteousness. He will bring judgment where judgment is needed. Then in verse 13, He will guide us into truth. He will speak not on His own initiative. That means exactly what Jesus said about Himself. He said, I do not say anything unless the Father has told me what to say. Now Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit will not say anything unless the Father has told Him what to say. What He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose it to you, what is to come. Then it says in 14, He will glorify Me. I need to stop and explain something to you. There's a lot of counterfeit spirits that will pose as the power that we're looking for. He said they'll even pose as the Messiah in the last days. So I need to interpret that phrase "He shall glorify me" some like this. Any spirit that draws attention to itself is not the Holy Spirit. Any spirit that draws attention to a person is not the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, would only draw attention to the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And so we need to be careful in the functioning, in the working of the Holy Spirit that we do not take attention for ourselves. We, it's common for people to, to, to um, want to draw attention to themselves because they're able to heal somebody by the power of God, and so they're going to take advantage of it to make themselves more popular to get bigger offerings or whatever. Be careful of them because Jesus said, he will glorify Me. Then further in verse 14, he, will take, he shall take of Mine and shall disclose it to you. The things that Jesus has said, those things He taught His disciples, Jesus said, at the right time, the Holy Spirit will bring back to your memory the thing that I have said that you need now. At this particular point, in your ministry, in your life. So, He shall take of mine. Then He says, finally, all things that the Father has are mine, Jesus said. Therefore, I said, what He takes of mine, that's the Holy Spirit takes of mine, will disclose it to you. So, what a perfect... God gives to Jesus. Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to give to us. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding... All the things that the fear of the Lord have for us as we revere and honor Him. Jesus said, The Father will give it. I have it. I give it to the Spirit. He wants to give to you. If we stand in obedience and serve the Lord in the fear of the Lord. So the recap of all that from chapter 16 of John. Nine things. Let me run to them for our advantage, convict the world of sin, give us an example to follow in righteousness, tells us of judgments, guides us into truth, speaks what the Father tells him to speak. He wants to disclose what is to come. He will constantly draw attention to Jesus, and he'll take the things of Jesus and disclose them to us. I would say from that list, just from this passage of Scripture, we desperately need the baptism of the Holy Spirit desperately need it. In Acts chapter 2, there's something there in verse 17 to 21. I'm not going to turn to it, but Peter is quoting the prophet regarding the coming of Jesus. And if you went back into Deuteronomy 18, you would find that. This is basically what it says of Jesus. Moses doesn't use his name. He doesn't have to. But he said, there is a prophet coming after me who will be like me. Do what he says. And Peter here is mentioning it. It's mentioned two other times in the book of Acts. Peter says that prophet he's talking about is the one you crucified. Can I insert this? It has to do with our brothers, the, the, the precious people, the Jewish people. There's only one law of Moses that they now have to obey. Only one. They can forget all the other laws of the Old Testament. There's only one that the Jewish people have to listen to. And that is the one that says, when that prophet comes, do what he says. In other words, you don't have to do what I, Moses, says. Do what that prophet says. Peter identified that prophet as Jesus. I trust that as Christians, we would learn the same thing. I'm not bound by Old Testament Mosaic laws. I'm only bound by the things that Jesus said. And I'm bound to them for my freedom. I'm bound to them for my good. And those things are put God first in your life. Put others before yourself. And Jesus said all the law are wrapped up in those two commandments." When Jesus was on the mountain of transfiguration, He said, this is My Son. Obey Him. He didn't say obey Moses. He didn't say obey Ezekiel, or Ezekiel. He said obey Him. When He was baptized... The Father said, this is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. Obey him. And so we have a simplicity here of what we have to do to follow Jesus. Put him first. Put others before ourselves. The two commandments. And so one of the things that Jesus said was, receive you the Holy Spirit. The disciples are asking Him. And he said He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Breath, in, in Greek and Hebrew, that word breath is the same as spirit. So He's actually blowing the Holy Spirit on them. But they didn't receive it until Pentecost. But somebody had to say it in order for God to do it. The, the good example is Ezekiel and the dry bones. I know it was a vision... But God was showing him, you have to speak to the bones. Speak to them. So he, he, out of his mouth came a spirit in the, in the breath that he was speaking. And the bones come up together. Then he had to speak flesh onto them. And he speak life into them. Ezekiel could have said, well, God, why don't you do it? Just tell them to get up and get going. God says, no, I want somebody to say it. And Jesus said, Receive you the Holy Spirit and breathe on Him so that when the day of Pentecost came, they could receive it because somebody said it. And from that day on to this day, God is still saying, Receive the Holy Spirit, His breath is still with us that we should receive Him. I like the story from Acts 2 when Peter was preaching, he preached Jesus, not the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit, but he is preaching in Jesus. For those of us who are filled with the Spirit, I believe, this is my own personal opinion, I believe that we have in the last 40 years of what we call the charismatic movement, as much as I hate labels, what we call them, I believe there's been such a strong emphasis on having the power of God, exercising the gifts of the Spirit, and we've heard sermons after sermons and teachings after teachings. And in many of those times, we simply forget about Jesus. But Jesus said, He will glorify me. We should have in some way brought the Holy Spirit into, the, into the, um, the, the area that He wants to work on where He can glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of that, many of us, I'm not saying all of the teachers, but many of us have had so much emphasis on the Holy Spirit, it's almost as if He's the only part of the Godhead that remains. Consequently, we've taught, we forgot about this, about Jesus. It has to do with character. We're so focused on gifts and power, we forgot about charity. God is more interested in forming you into the likeness of The character of Jesus than He is in the gifts coming out of your mouth or off your hands. I believe He's more interesting Because it's the character that you live in, the personality that comes out of you that shows the character of Jesus Himself. The Father said that He is creating us into the likeness of His Son. He didn't say into the likeness of the Holy Spirit. Although, it's impossible to separate the two. He said, into the likeness of his son. And so I take responsibility, I wish many others would do, maybe they do. We have not focused on character, we focused on gifts and power. As a result, the church at this time in history is losing members not growing the way it should, because we have we haven't forgotten about Jesus. He's just kind of off to the sidelines someplace. And our focus is the Holy Spirit. So we need to get back into focus. We don't want to lose the Holy Spirit. We don't want to discard Him. He's important. But His job is to glorify Jesus and nothing else. matter of fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, when he's trying to get this thing stopped stop on being an intellectual for a minute and just get simple. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, Paul spoke about the gifts, but whenever Paul spoke about them, it was very short. It basically said they're going to happen if you're following God and the gifts are needed. You'll, you'll, you'll be there But his preaching was Jesus. When Philip went down to Samaria after the the Christians had been persecuted out of Jerusalem, what did he preach? He preached Jesus to the Ethiopian Union. What did he preach when he went to Samaria? He preached Jesus. And yet the Holy Spirit showed up, healed cripples, set people free and whole. Bunch ended up getting baptized. Preach Jesus. We got it. We preach Jesus. We can talk about the Holy Spirit. He needs to be understood. We need to teach about the Holy Spirit, what He wants to do. But we preach Jesus and Him crucified, Him risen. Philippians three ten. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. Becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul had a single focus in mind. Preach Jesus. Love Jesus. Serve Jesus. Be willing to go through suffering for Jesus. And do you know what happened? As a result of his focus on Jesus, the power of resurrection, and the willingness to go through suffering... Here's the result. He did extraordinary miracles in healing, restoring, and delivering. The Bible says not just miracles, extraordinary miracles. Luke says in the book of Acts. Because he preached Jesus. And then in Acts 4, there would be no power for salvation without the resurrection. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven, given by man, to which we may be saved. So the Holy Spirit was sent to glorify Jesus. And Jesus was, he, when he was on earth, this is, so, this is kind of key about their relationship. When Jesus was on earth, everything he did was to glorify the Father. As a matter of fact, there's times when he healed or cast out demons and he said to the people, you know, they might have been saying, oh, praise God, praise the Father. He would say, go tell everybody. If they are praising the Father, go tell everybody. When they start praising Jesus, they say, don't tell anybody. Now, just think of what he was doing. He said, I don't, I don't want the glory on me. I want the glory to the Father. If you're already thanking the Father, that's wonderful. When you start to focus on me, you can't focus on the Father. Now the Holy Spirit is here. Jesus has been glorified. Jesus deserves our attention now. Jesus deserves the, the benefit of us thinking that He is the source, which He is. So the Holy Spirit says, don't focus on me. Focus on Jesus. Just as Jesus, when He was here, didn't focus on Himself. He focused on the Father. Now I, the Holy Spirit, am saying, don't focus on me. Focus on Jesus. We can also focus on the Father. The Father loves Jesus so much. If we focus on Jesus, the Father is never jealous. And if we focus on the Father, the, the, Jesus is never jealous. They love each other too much to get jealous. Isn't that good to know? A little lesson in there for some of us. Now, I want to give you a biblical definition of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts one eight. But you will receive power. Stop there. Jesus was saying, If you're asking me what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, here's my answer. You shall receive power. Let's go on. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. He didn't say you will be the Holy Spirit's witness. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, When Jesus said, in relation to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power, I need to understand, He did not say you'll receive the gifts of the Spirit. He did not say you'll receive um, the fruit of the Spirit. He simply said you'll receive power. Now, those other two things fall into the category of what is the power. But Jesus focused on the power. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 4.20, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. You ever in a meeting and you go there saying, Man, I got this backache. I sure hope they pray for healing tonight. But all the guy does is talk and then dismisses you. You might say, well, I need to be healed. Well, his talk might have been good. But whenever we present Jesus Christ there's enough in the New Testament to tell me that I should also give the Lord a chance to confirm His Word. I should always give the Lord, if I'm preaching Bible and preaching Jesus, I should give the Lord a chance to confirm His Word. You ask me why did you say that twice? Because when I'm talking, I have trouble underlining it to make it sound important. That's important. I also want to point out from Acts 1, verse 4, why we need God's power to do God's work. And I'm saying this because there's many Christian churches that are trying to do God's work without His power. But this is what Jesus said. Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. Let me paraphrase. Do not leave your job and go to the pastor church. Let me paraphrase again. Do not leave your job and go to the mission field. Let me paraphrase again. Do not leave Bible school and think you can pastor or go to the mission field or do evangelism without the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, But wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to cover in a few minutes just how many people actually talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I need to do that for a specific reason, so just bear up under a minute. I want to look at Paul's church planting plan. It wasn't just Paul's. It was the Apostle's. It was Christians that were sent out that weren't even apostles sometimes. But this was their church planting plan. All right, now if I were part of a committee of a church and said we want to plant a church on the other side of town, we would probably come up with a fifteen page document as to how we're doing it, and that may not be wrong, but you see, if we don't plan on that church planting plan To include the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, we might get a church planted, but it's going to be a lot more work and probably get planted and established on a wrong foundation that's a possibility. Jesus gave this command don't leave until you got it don't do it until you got it. And so now we look at paul romans fifteen nineteen he didn't plant the Roman church. But there were people that went there and planted it and got back to Paul. And he eventually writes that letter, say, I'm coming soon. But he says, By the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elokam, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. So he's saying all over the place, and I'm sure he's talking about others besides himself. I have been able... He said to the Roman church, I have been able to plant churches all over the place. We know He did. 1 Corinthians 2, He says much the same thing. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. That's a powerful statement that my faith would actually rest on what I saw. The miracles, the deliverance. My faith rests on that. And I say, we're going to go on with this church. Yes, we're having some financial troubles. Yes, we can't find a building. Yes, but it doesn't matter. We will go on. Because I saw the power of God. And there's a whole bunch of people in this community that needs the power of God. So we're going to hang on to that. My faith is based on the fact that God will do it again. We need the power of God. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.5 Your gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, and with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Paul saying, don't forget how your church was established. It was established in the power of God. It wasn't established on some teacher saying, well, our doctrine is the bit doctrine from those guys' doctrine, and their doctrine is wrong, our doctrine is right, so let's start a new church. He never said that's the way it's going. He said, no, we're based on the... I saw people here. I saw deliverance. The church is going to be based on the fact that I saw God moving the Holy Spirit there. Jesus said, when you see that, the kingdom of God is there. I want to go to a church where the kingdom of God is. I don't want one that said, this is what we believe and it's different, so therefore they're wrong. I don't want to do that. I want to be in a place where the Holy Spirit says, come on in, Howard. It's time to start. Don't you? Now, I want to tell you who it was talked about. I'm going to tell you my little wee bit of a testimony. My parents read the Bible to me when we were kids. I went to an evangelical church, which uh, was a good church to preach the Bible. And in all my years of growing up in that church and growing up in that home, I never, ever remembered hearing the term baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because when my mom and dad read it to us, or they read it in the church, we had the understanding that when you get saved, it just happened. It was just there. And so you didn't pay much attention to that term. But to say, when someone said to me that, Precious brother, then start talking to me about it. I started to read the Bible, start looking for it. And this is what I found. First of all, Matthew 3, verse 11. This is John, pardon me, this is Matthew telling about John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. That's John the Baptist. He wasn't ashamed. to use that? Because when I was probably about 25, 26 years old, I ran into the conference the man who was the head of our denomination worldwide. And I'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So, actually, my my age then was probably around 30. I said to him, one of the things our church magazine never talks about is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, we don't use that term because we don't want to look like Pentecostals. Now, have you ever had somebody say something to you and you absolutely have no idea what to say back? You know, at least for twenty minutes after they're gone, then you think of a good one. I didn't know what to say. But I started saying, Why were why were they ashamed? Why wouldn't they? because I've seen Pentecostal churches in every country I've been in, and I've been quite a few. You're driving down the road, there's a Pentecostal church. You see a church in another country, and you said to the guide that's with you. There's a church. What's that? He said, it's a Pentecostal church. I can't read the signs in another language. And they're all over the place. And yet the guy that said to me, we don't want to look like a Pentecostal church, had about 30 churches here in Ontario. And yet I said to a brother of mine, who I did a lot of work in his church, a Pentecostal brother, and I said, how many churches do you have, your church have here in Ontario? He said, "I don't know about all of Ontario, but just just um, the west half, Western Ontario, we have about 300. And their denomination is much younger than the one I was raised in. And so my thinking is, if they have 300 in half of Ontario, we have 30 in all of Ontario. Why wouldn't we want to look like them? You understand? Because they have, they understand the power of the Holy Spirit they establish churches." We establish churches on wisdom. I'm going to give you my wisdom and I'm I'm really going to impress you with my wisdom so you will join our church. Paul says, we're not going to do that here. You know how we're going to get you into our church? That little boy of yours with the crooked foot? Let me pray for him. That's how they got families in. And in the early church, that's the way the church grew. And if you want to you know, there's a, uh, a book out there called Christianizing the Roman Empire by a guy named Ramsey McMullen. Christianizing the Roman Empire, Ramsey McMullen. He was a professor of early Roman history at Yale University. And his research in early Roman history, I don't even know if he's a Christian, I wouldn't be surprised if he is now. But when he wrote that book, he kept finding stuff about early Christians for 400 years after Christ. He was finding stuff about these Christians that eventually so many converts, so many people turned to the Lord because Rome was a totally pagan nation. At Jesus' time, totally pagan. By the end of the year 400, it was now known as a Christian nation and Ramsey McMillan says, I'm writing a book because history has to record that a pagan nation turned and became a Christian nation. He said, it's never happened before. It never happened since. It's common for Christian nations to turn to paganism, but not for paganism to turn to a Christian nation. So he said, it has to be recorded as history. And when you read that book, it's a hard book to read. He's a professor at Yale. I don't have to say anymore about that, but all the way through, he keeps finding these things and recording them in that book about these little prophets and these little apostles roaming through the countryside, coming into a town, coming into a village, and simply saying to them, um, do, you have any, um, do you have any children here that are, are troubled at night by evil spirits? Or, yes? Oh, we, well, you bring them to me. No, and he cast the demons out. And anybody that the doctor can't fix, they had, bring them to me. And he'd, breathe, and he'd heal them. And the whole town would turn to the Lord. He's got record of them saying, Our gods were demons. Let's pull down the temple and build a church for the Lord. Like they just, the whole, why? Because he went in with all his wisdom and wisdom. No. As Prince Princess, he went in with his choir. No, he went in with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what gets people attention. You meet your needs. The Argentina revival that lasted for about 20 years. That's all they did. They, You know, a guy would go next door. Hi, my name is, say, I live right next door. Yes, I know. We just wonder, my wife and I are wondering, is there anything that you would like prayer for? Anybody's second. Well, no, but we really have... I just lost my job, and we're really up against it. Well, let me pray for him. They'd pray for him. Two weeks later, go back and say hi. Remember me? Oh yes. How's it going? Well, I guess I guess that prayer worked because I got a job. They go to another door. Yeah, my son's really been sick, and he doesn't. Well, let me pray for him. Two weeks later, how's your son? Well, he's better. And with them. A few years of doing that, the man that God raised up to give it some leadership, Carlos Anaconda, a man who had nine kids, made his living from a little nuts and bolts factory where he made nuts and bolts, started to call the Christians together for prayer and praise and fellowship. Ended up renting soccer stadiums of seats, 70, 80, people. And when it was full, the fire chief would close the doors, nobody in it, and there'd be at least again a third outside. And for a whole weekend, they're praising the Lord, interceding for their nation inside, the ones outside walking around. They could hear the prayer, they could hear them praising with them. And down in Argentina, the the Catholic Church dropped in members from something like 80 90% down below 50%. And they actually had persecution because of what was happening. I trust my figures are right. One young man, the evangelist that they had in, said to him, so what do you do, sir? He was on the prayer committee or something. And he said, well, I'm a pastor. Uh, do you pastor a church? Well, where's your church, he said. He said, well, I don't have one yet. I'll be taking the converts from here, from my area, and starting a church. And he did. And you see, down there, if you started a church, and you didn't have 2,000 people in two years, you're considered a failure. you know what they depended on? The power of the Holy Spirit to change people's lives. Listen, it's quite simple, isn't it? God, you want to build a church? I'll be the water pipe. You pour the water through. That's simple. Just don't start drawing attention to the pipe. Got it? You start drawing attention to the pipe? Why should God let the water flow through? So Matthew talked about it because John the Baptist talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then Mark records the same thing with John the Baptist. So, Matthew and Mark, they didn't mind using that term. And then Luke records it. Now, Luke's an educated man. He was a Gentile man. He's from Antioch, which is up in around where the Middle East is today, somewhere in there. About east of that, I guess. But he was an educated doctor. And he didn't mind using that term, and he quotes John the Baptist. And then the Apostle John, in chapter 1, he uses that term. He says, and he's quoting John the Baptist, but the first three guys are quoting John the Baptist before he baptized Jesus, just before. They're describing just before. But John the Apostle quotes John the Baptist, what he said after he had baptized Jesus, this is what John the Baptist said. I myself did not know Him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that He might be revealed to Israel. That's Jesus. Then John gave this testimony. This is John the Baptist. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven and as a dove and remain on Him. That's Jesus. I would not have known Him except the One who sent me. An important phrase stop The one who sent me. Who was that? In John chapter 1, verse 1, there was a man... I'm sorry, chapter 6. 6, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. So the one who sent me, John the Baptist saying, told me. This is what God said. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is He who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, 5, John baptized with water, Jesus Jesus saying this, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you see in Acts eleven talking about the Holy Spirit came on them, just as He did on us at the beginning. Then I remember what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Can I just review? Who all who all here's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? John the Baptist is? Matthew is? Luke is? John is, Jesus is, and the Father is. Now, if God can talk about it, if Jesus can talk about it, the Apostle Paul, the other disciples, and the writers, Mark and Luke, who were not disciples, but writers, if they can talk about it, then we can too. I give you permission to start talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit freely, openly, without any embarrassment. Because Jesus talked about it. The Father talked about it. The disciples and the apostles and the followers, they talked about it. You can too. And I'll point out something interesting in all of these passages. They never ever said the apostles, the disciples, or Jesus, or the Father. This Jesus, who you see being baptized, will save you from your sins. Isn't that interesting? We know Jesus was sent to save us from our sins. We know that. But when He's being introduced at baptism time, they are saying, He is the one who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to discredit the fact He came to save us from our sins, because He did. If He didn't do that, there would be no baptism in the Holy Spirit or water. But you see, He came to save us from our sins, to fill us with His power so we could be a a disciple to glorify Him. Did you hear me? He He didn't save us so we could just get to heaven. He saved us so we could be filled with His power to do the work He's called us to do. He saved us so He can fill us with His power to do the work He's called us to do. I hope you wake up tomorrow saying that to yourself. I need to be filled with the Spirit in order to do the work God's called me to do. Don't leave Jerusalem without it. That's a command, by the way, from Jesus. Don't leave home without it. over the years as a little boy, my mom really, she had a heart for missions. And um, she had the missionaries of our denomination up in the wall. She had two great big pictures. And in there were a whole bunch of little heads, you know. And underneath, she'd have their birthday written in. And um, if they're a couple, there'd be their wedding anniversary. And I know she used to pray for the missionaries. And so when missionaries came to our church on furlough, it was just Kind of the natural thing that they came to our house for dinner. I'm sure Mom requested and loved it. I, I still remember some of them um, talking with Dad and talking with Mom. I sit there as a little child listening to them. And they're wonderful people. They're, some of them were so precious. I loved them. Um, just from listening to them there. But I remember something. My dad's name was Orville. I still remember one lady single lady. She said, Orville, the field is so hard. I've been there for four years. I only have three converts. It's really hard there. Yes, it was hard. I I remember people from other countries saying the same thing. It's really hard here. Really hard. I made up my mind there's no way I'm going to be a missionary. Go over there and work for four years for three people. is the story of a man from Pennsylvania. I'm in that man. He was on the... When him and his wife went to our, um, Brazil as missionaries, way back many years ago, they didn't fly then, you went by boat. On that same boat was a Pentecostal man and his wife going to the mission field there as well. When they When they got to know each other, when they were there. They were about 150 miles apart, so they didn't see each other. They didn't have roads in those days or cars in those days. But I heard this midnight missionary tell this in his own words. He said, when I was ready to retire after 40 years of missionary work, they wanted to give me a, a departing party, a going away party. And so two of the people they invited were this Pentecostal couple, and they come up to join us in my going away party for my wife and I. We got talking, he said. And he said to me, Nelson, how did you do? And Nelson said, well, I think we did pretty good. We, um, we have a church established. We have a, about 200 members in the church. Sounds pretty good. And he said, how did you do? I guess, well, I've been able to plant 200 churches. I don't know if he's given exact figures, but that's what I can remember. It was that extreme. Nelson Little. Nelson received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and so spent the rest of his life going back to mission fields that were of his denomination teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See the, the difference, the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. Using your wisdom. Using man's words. using without the power. Now, we have to talk. We have to preach. But when you preach the Word of God and come, and believe by faith the power of God to be there to change man's lives. That's what Paul said in the worst chapter of Romans. The Gospel is the power of God to change man's lives. I have to. Let's look at some of the experiences from the book of Acts. Now, there's different terms used in the book of Acts. Filled, received, poured out, came on them. But they all relate back to the fact that they're referring to the day of Pentecost when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Even on the day of Pentecost, they didn't call it baptized in the Holy Spirit. But when Peter got in trouble for going into a Gentile's home, And now he's in chapter 11 of Acts, and he has to explain why. He said, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, just as we were back there in Pentecost. So, he referred to it as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, the first one is the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the first four verses. When the day of Pentecost came, they're all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Those that said seemed to be. That separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, we, first of all, we know it wasn't a real wind. It wasn't real fire. First of all, the doors and the windows are all closed because they're afraid of the, um, of the Romans or of the Pharisees. They could crucify Jesus. They felt they might be next. So we know that the tongues and the, or the tongues of fire and the wind that came was the Holy Spirit. We know it wasn't real fire. It would have burned their hair out. So it was the fire of the Holy Spirit, which didn't consume. But that's the record of the day of Pentecost. We do not have any other time when people are filled with the Holy Spirit that the same thing happened with fire and wind. But I am told on the transformation videos, I've seen it, um, I think it's the second or third transformation video where um, George Otis Jr. talks and shows video about how God's moving in different areas. And there's a, an uh, Inuit tribe way up in northern Quebec that um, tired of the, the gas sniffing and the suicides. And some of them are Christians. and They made a covenant together to start seeking the Lord and one night we were together as, a, as, I guess, a church body. And all of a sudden, the same thing started happening. It looked like fire, and it sounded like wind. And that, that tribe became filled with the Holy Spirit. And they've been a burning example to many other communities that here's the way to stop the devastation of suicides and drug addiction that came upon them. And, and it was spreading to others the last I heard. Acts chapter 8. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And they did. This is the second time. I'm going to come back to that to talk about something else. Acts 9. This is Ananias. Um, after Saul had got hit on the road by the light of the Lord and, and called him Lord, which means he was submitting to him. And became converted. Ananias laid his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't say anything in those last two, chapter 8 or chapter 9, of how they knew, but we know they did. In Acts 10, this is the house of Cornelius. And Peter was in this Gentile um, leader's home. He was a military leader. And while he was still preaching to them, Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. They did know how it came that time, and I'll explain that to you a little later. Acts 19, Paul arrived in Ephesus. He found some disciples. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Sorry. We'll come back to that later. I, number six here, we, do we... Receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at conversion. This is, to the evangelical church especially, this is an important section because most of us as evangelicals we're told, we're taught, when you get saved, you automatically have the Holy Spirit. Now some of them would say you get the Holy Spirit at conversion, but later on you have to pray for the power to be released. There's no Scripture that I can find that would verify that. Now, if you want to believe that, that's up to your business. The main thing is you get the power of the Holy Spirit. But the following passages would indicate that when you're born again, you do not necessarily receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the Acts 8. Verses 14 and 16. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the Word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know when you get saved, the idea is to get baptized afterwards? So they're already saved. And then they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to do a little bit of geography here. You go into Google or some other search machines, and you put in the travel part, the maps part. You put in Jerusalem and then you put in... Where are you going to? I'm going to Samaria. You put that in there and when the directions come up, you will find that it is 52 miles from Samaria to Jerusalem. So... Some people had to walk or rode camels that aren't any faster than people or rode donkeys that aren't any faster than people. The only exception is if they had a donkey that was turbocharged. And I have never heard of them having. So it would take them at least two days to get from Samaria to Jerusalem. You can't walk 52 miles in one day. It has to at least take two days. And then when they got there, it would take two days to come back with Peter and John. So there has to be four days between when they're, they were healed, cripples healed, demons cast out, they got saved, they were water baptized. There's at least four days between that baptism and the next baptism of the Holy Spirit. Geographically, it had to be at least four days. And it says... The Holy Spirit came, had not yet come on them. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit came on them and then they get power four days later. It says the Holy Spirit came on them. It had not come on them, pardon me. And it's simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So come on, church. I believe one of the greatest injustices against us as a church that believe in the baptism, or believe in the new birth with a greatest injustice to say, okay, you've already got the Holy Spirit too. And a dying evangelical church is the proof that we were wrong. And a living Pentecostal or charismatic full gospel church that are growing is the proof that we were wrong in the evangelical teaching. Because when... Guys like George Varn and some of these other guys that keep track of where the church is going, they would say, the rate of decrease isn't very much in North America. But he said, if it wasn't for the, for the Pentecostal charismatic churches, that figured would be a way down. A guy that was head of evangelicalism, evangelical association here in Canada, I talked with him just last fall, We're talking about the Bible schools, how they're making it. And he says, most of them are losing numbers. I said, why would they be losing numbers? And he said, well, it's very simple. In the evangelical churches of Canada, in the last 10 years, no, pardon me, yes, in the last 10 years, we've lost 51% of our people. 51%. I come out of the business world, 10 years in the business world. If we come into a management meeting... And we say, in the last 10 years, we've lost 51% of our business. The president's been fired, the board's been fired, the marketing directors. been fired. We've got to start something's wrong here. When that happens in the church, we say, uh, the I, I, I can't fit into a church. I, I'm glad God is home me to do this. Because I can't handle having a problem and not doing something about it because I was trained in the business world. So forgive me if I don't fit into a church board very well. (laughs) You forgive me? So we've done a tremendous injustice by causing Christians to think they have it when the Bible says they may not. Now I'm not saying it's impossible. But you see, in Acts it says we receive the Holy Spirit by faith, and I couldn't receive it when I was born again. I didn't know anything about it. How can you have faith for something you don't know about? And then we have another problem with evangelical thinking in Acts 19. Paul says when he arrived at Ephesus, there he found some disciples. It didn't say sinners, it said disciples. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Paul Paul is not a good evangelical. Why is he even asking that question? Come on. Why would he ask that question? The answer is because he knew it was a conversion experience with baptism here. And at some other time, maybe two minutes later, maybe ten years later, With me, it was 15 years later when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because these disciples, their answer was, no. We have not even heard. They didn't hear. How could they believe? So I'm sorry. If If you're convinced that we receive it when we get saved, Then you need to take a magic marker and block out those two verses in your Bible. You need to get rid of them. You don't want to ever read them again because you might you might realize you were wrong. And that goes against every bit of pride that we carry around. We are right. The question is then if that's the case, Howard, where is the Holy Spirit of conversion? Where is he? Well, the Scripture says in John 14, 16, 17, This is Jesus. I will ask the Father. He will give you another counselor. But you know Him, for He lives with you. But He will be in you, which is future. So, He is with us. As a matter of fact, before I was saved, He was with me, convicting me, drawing me, wooing me. And he stayed with me after I was saved. And he wants me to read the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. See, see, it says in the Scriptures that I'm to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want to live in you. The temple that you represent has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Now, would you please ask me, invite me to come in? He is not going to come in because I think he did. He needs to be invited in because I want Him. I want the Lord to inhabit this temple. And the Holy Spirit is the Lord on planet Earth. I want Him in there. He's not interested in our buildings anymore. He's not interested in whatever we may do that we call church. He is, I'm talking about physically, He is interested in us being the temple of the living God. And if we haven't invited Him in, He may not be there. And then number seven here is speaking in tongues necessary to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This, <laughs> this is a, the, the thing that we have fought about for years. Some say, no, you don't... Yes, you do. No, you don't. I wish there's some way that I could get every deceiving spirit just to shut up for five minutes so Christians could say, oh, that's what the Word says. Wow. Let's read it. Acts 10. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message The circumcised believers, that's the Jewish believers who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Well, how did they know? For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So, they knew the same thing happened to them at the house of Cornelius, the same thing happened to them that happened to them back at Pentecost. They knew that. Now, here's here's what I have to do right now. This is where I am in my belief system. I love and appreciate our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. I do. They might say, I'm sure there's variation, but they might say, unless you speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? My position is, they might be right. I'm not going to argue with them. But I think, to me, that verse says we know that somebody has been filled with the Holy Spirit when we hear that. And this is the way I know. I'll use use Margaret and I as an example here. You see, if I'm outside one day and I need Margaret for something, I might be calling her in the backyard, calling her, but all of a sudden, out of the upstairs window, I can hear her talking on the phone. I can't see her, but I can hear her up there you know something? I know she's in the house. When I hear the Holy Spirit speaking out of you, I know he's in the house. Sorry, it's not complicated enough for you. Isn't that what... To me, the first thing that happens... In many, many people that we've seen baptized in the Holy Spirit, including me, the first gift to show up is the gift of tongues. Now, the reason for that, I'm going to cover some of them in a minute. But it's important for me to get established before I start doing things with other people. Praying for the sick, words of knowledge, and all that stuff. You understand? It's important for me and so, let's take a look at, at this whole thing. Um, if you looked in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, there's a lot of information in there about, about tongues and prophesying. And the reason Paul was dealing with it, because the Corinthian church had made a mess out of things. Everybody was prophesying. everybody speaking in tongues. They're doing it to show off. Doing it to say, I'm really spiritual as I've got the gifts. All that jazz, okay? So, the the chapter is a chapter that's trying to say, straighten out, start using the gifts properly. And he does something that is confusing to some people. He says, at one time, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And also, he says, I wish you all would speak in tongues he's talking about. But then later, he says, I only want three people to speak in tongues. And you've got to have an interpreter. People say, he's talking about three there, and then he's... I don't understand that, so I'm going to rip the whole chapter of my Bible because I don't understand it. But you will find there's at least three times when Paul says, he's talking about tongues and prophecy, Then he says, however, in the church, or when you're gathered together. You understand what he... He's talking about you personally. I wish you would all speak in tongues. However, in the church, Everybody speaks in a tongue, you're wasting everybody's time because nobody knows what you're talking about. So why don't you just have three? Make sure there's interpretation. If there's no interpretation, if you can't interpret your own tongues, hush up. Not exactly the term we use, but so tongues of the nine gifts of the Spirit, tongues is the personal one for me. I'm going to explain in a minute why. It's personal for me, and it's personal for you. And then when, I, when things start to grow in me, and I'm saying the fruit of the Spirit becomes important when it comes to exercising the gifts of the Spirit. There's a beautiful illustration in the Old Testament. The, the priests, their robes. The Bible talks about their robes. At the bottom of the robes, they had to have pomegranates sewn on them. And little bells showed on them. There was a pomegranate then a bell. A pomegranate and a bell. There were supposed to be nine pomegranates. There were supposed to be nine bells. In the New Testament, there's nine fruit of the Spirit, pomegranates of fruit, and there's nine gifts. And do you know what the pomegranates represent? It represents character. It represents gentleness, kindness, and so on. All the characters of Jesus. They're in between the bells to keep the bells from clanging together. Because if you don't have fruit in your life, the bell, the gifts of the spirit becomes harsh and cold. And I've heard people praying for someone, they're not healed. Oh, it's because you've got sin in your life and they walk away from them. See now. So we need the fruit of the Spirit, which to me is important. It's we the Bible tells us we're to be like Jesus. The Father wants to make us into, into his character. We outflows that personality that is your personality, but it has the character of Jesus in it. And then when you have a word of knowledge or your, your heart shows you some discernment, you can give it in the love and the patience and the kindness that we need to know to minister. So to me, this whole thing of the gifts being taught for years without character being taught has backfired on us. And people are saying, I don't want to go to church anymore. George Barney, the guy that does research, the pastor in the states that does research, he says there's at least 10 million born-again believers in the United States that won't go to a standard church. They won't go. They have house groups, but they won't go to church. There's a number of reasons. They're tired of programs. They're tired of buildings, new buildings. They're tired of money thing. but they're also tired of what they see in leadership. Many times, you understand. I'm not putting down leadership. I'm not putting down a building. I still go to, you know, an institutional type church, but I know it's a real church. It's when two or three get together in the name of the best. The real church, right there. I loved it the other day. I saw this. Somebody said it. Facebook. It said, um, a hypocritical Christian is someone who can sit in church Sunday morning thinking about fishing. But a true believer is someone who can sit in a fishing boat thinking about God. And I love that. But to say it, We've got, we've got this thing that God wants us to look like Jesus because Jesus said He was the exact representation of the Father. In Hebrew, well, Hebrew writers, He is the exact representation of the Father. And the Father said, through the Holy Spirit, through Paul in the first grand kid, that He wants to create us into the likeness of His Son. And believe me, folks, looking like Jesus, has a little bit to do with the gifts and a whole bunch to do with character. That's right. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that will grow the fruit of the Spirit in me. Grow those things. If I'm impatient, He wants to give me the power to become patient. If I have trouble forgiving, He wants to give me the power to become more forgiving. If, if If I hold account short, He wants to give me the power to be the opposite. And be able to live with people that are hard to get along with. Anybody here know somebody? They're close to them at work or something. And they're hard to love. He wants to give me love for those people that are hard to love. He said, if you only love people that love you, even the sinners do that. He wants to give you love where he can love those that are unlovable. Let's give a definition of tongues. Let's talk about a definition. 1 Corinthians 14. For anyone who speaks the tongue does not speak to man, but to God. Would you please, when people say, what's tongue saying? Say it's man talking to God in God's language. That's all It. Indeed, no one understands him. They might say, well, how so that baby talk? Of course, the Bible says it. You won't understand he utters mysteries with His Spirit. You, listen, when somebody speaks the tongue, the Holy Spirit is speaking through your vocal cords. You, see, the Holy Spirit doesn't have a body. You don't have a body, you can't talk. So He wants to speak to us using our language, our vocal cords. But in the, in the prayer language, He is praying a prayer that the Father has given Him because Jesus said, you'll only take what is from the Father. So, he's praying the prayer that the Father has given him. And he's praying it back to the Father. And it may be about you. It may be about somebody you know. It may be about somebody you don't know. Because we don't know what he's praying about. Does it matter? What is the benefit of speaking in tongues? Ephesians 3.10 says, His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now in that passage, he's talking about praising the Lord, singing, all that stuff. But you see, Paul made it very clear in First Corinthians 14 that tongues, the gifts of the Spirit, are all part of the assembly. If they're handled right, they're part of the assembly. And what we're doing when we're serving the Lord in there and praising the Lord, the enemy hears it. And he is pushed back. The rulers and authorities, he's not, he's not, about, not talking about God's heaven. He's talking about the heavenlies in between the real heaven and this heaven where Satan resides. And he says, those rulers and authorities there, we are making known to them where I stand. God is my Father. I'm His child. And I love Him more than anything else. I serve Jesus. I glorify We're making known to them where we stand. You understand, David, just love this guy. He's looking up at a nine-foot glide. Goliath is stand there with his armor-bearer, his shield, his sword, huge sword. Just... David's looking up at him. David says, you come to me with the sword and the shield? I come to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. you know what he did? Most of us spend time telling God how big our enemy is. <laughs> Never get no Lord. I've been attacked. All this is happening to me. I can't get healed. Oh, Lord. It's time that we stop ta- telling God about our enemy. It's time we told the enemy about how big our God is. You understand? And David said to Goliath, I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And one little stone, probably about this thing, took him out. It's interesting, David, they say he picked up five stones. Remember that story? You know why? I just learned back a few months ago. I don't know if it's actual, but somebody said, and scriptures confirmed, that Goliath has four brothers. And they're all big like him. And eventually through the course of the next number of years, they had all be taken out. The Philistines would use them to scare the Israelites. One of David's brothers took one over the mountain. Isn't that interesting? So when you have five potential giants coming against you, just tell them how big your God is. He's much bigger than Goliath any day. So we need to have within us the power in order to pray a prayer that we don't understand But it's a perfect prayer. It has no selfishness in it. No greed. No impatience. It's a perfect prayer coming from the Father on our behalf because somebody has to say what God wants to do for us. Just Ezekiel had to speak to the dry bones. Gamaliel, the the head of the Pharisees, had to speak. And he said, somebody has to die for the people. He prophesied, even though he's a Pharisee and hated Jesus, He still prophesied somebody has to die for the people and Jesus what he's talking about. He didn't know it, but that's what he's saying. And you say, out of that innermost being, the Bible says, out of the innermost being will flow a river of living water coming out. Thus he spoke of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit come out. So I don't take a hard position. You have to. I take a position. You should want to. You should want to. Oh God, I want to be able to pray the prayers that you have prayed. Isn't that awesome? I can't think of a. There isn't a more perfect prayer. Well, let's go on. Why? What is the benefit of speaking in tongues? First Corinthians fourteen four. That chapter about tongue. He said, "He who speaks the tongue edifies himself." The word edify has nothing to do with pride. It has to do with being built up in the faith. He edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. There's the difference. But when I speak in a tongue, I can be building my own faith up. And in Jude 20, it says much the same. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith Praying in the Holy Spirit. That's New American Standard. Building yourself up. So twice it tells us, praying in the Spirit with that new language can build up my faith. Also, First Corinthians 14, verse 16, the first part of that verse, he's talking about tongues. You are praising God with your Spirit. So there's another advantage. You're praising God. Now listen, if I said to you... Um, um, would, you, um, would you praise the Lord for me out loud for fifteen minutes? Well, you start running out of English words? But all of a sudden you yeah I'm just going to start praying in tongues because the father would say to the Holy Spirit, you start praising the Lord and I, my words come out of my mouth will be praised. And then he says in verse seventeen the first part, you will be giving thanks. Well, the Bible is very clear. If we don't give thanks, what we have will be taken away and given to somebody who does. So we should be focused on giving thanks. And so whenever I thank the Lord for everything I can think of, then I can just move into the Spirit and let the Spirit thank the Lord for a whole bunch of stuff I hadn't thought of lately. And then chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 18. It says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. The word all still means all, okay? All occasions with all kinds of prayers. That means English and prayer in the Spirit. If you also speak German, that means English, German, and in the Spirit, I guess. All kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep praying for all the saints. I have to tell you this story. Heard it years ago. A lady who God was giving her the gift of intercession. As a young girl was was building in this understanding of praying, as the Spirit of God would bring stuff to her, she'd start praying for her. And one day, the Lord was talking to her about a lady missionary that needed prayer. So she prayed for her for a number of days. And you have to be led by the Spirit, whether she's praying in English, being led by the Spirit, or praying in the Spirit. It doesn't matter. And then the Lord told her, it was a missionary lady in China. And then some days later, the Lord told her that she needed a building for the mission that she had there. And the one that she wanted was a large steel building that the Chinese communist government of that region, the municipality government, they owned it. It was empty. They weren't using it. And she she wanted it. But she would go to council. I'm sorry, I'm ahead of myself. She started praying for that building. And as she prayed for the building, day after day, all of a sudden one day, she didn't have to pray anymore. Months later, there was a man from China, missionary that came through and um, had lunch with them because he spoke in the church. This girl's dad was the pastor. And she got up the nerve to ask him about this woman. And he knew her because this girl had even got her name. He knew her. She says she's about 150 miles south of me. And so this lady asked, well, did she, um, was she needing a building? He said yes. The steel building. The government wasn't using it. She would go to councilmen and ask them if she could use it, but they wouldn't let her have it. She would go back again. They wouldn't let her have it. And that kept on for some time. Then one day she was home preparing lunch for herself. There's a knock at the door. She opened the door, and there's a councilman there. And he said, we've made a decision to give you the building. Now, I fully believe, I can't prove it, I fully believe, the prayers of that young girl praying in the spirit tore down whatever it was that was stopping, defeated the power of the enemy where they would change her a communist government would change its mind to let a Christian missionary use their building that's a miracle you understand we're praying for people we don't even know about it says so right there praying for all the saints I don't know all the saints, but I can pray for them you know if you say to the Lord one day, Father, I don't have anything specific I need to ask you for, but I want to spend some time praying for somebody else, somebody that's on your heart, somebody that needs a prayer, would you just start praying through your spirit? Whatever you want to tell me, fine, but just start praying. What an honor for us to stand with God and doing warfare for, for somebody, somebody else in the world we don't even know. But I'll tell you one thing, when you get to heaven, you'll meet them. They're going to look you up, and they'll hug you and thank you for your prayers. Listen, there's only one church, and you're part of it. Only one. Would you please get that through your, we're only one church. And I'm excited about that, because when we get to heaven, there's no room for differences up there. If you want to talk about, argue about your doctrine, God says, well, go to the other place. It's a bit warmer. Romans 8, 26, and 27. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Do you like that word, weaknesses? I thought if I had enough faith, all my weaknesses would be gone. No, He helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Isn't that interesting? Do you know how to paraphrase that? You don't know how to pray. You know? I don't want to be cruel. But literally, most of our prayers are tainted with a wee bit of selfishness or greed or um, look-at-me type. Most of them are. I wouldn't say all of them. But, so, it says here, we really don't know how to pray. But, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans. The words cannot express. Groans. All the other church are going to make fun of you. Hear all the funny noises coming in that it sound like, Sound like animal noise. Sound, sounds like a goat. Sounds like a rooster. All those groans coming out of that permit. Paul said there will be groans. As a matter of fact, somebody said of the Toronto airport, all those animal noises were demonic. Well, then Isaiah was demonic because when he when he wept over Jerusalem, he groaned and sounded like a, a, a donkey and sounded like an owl. And Micah, same thing, sounded like an animal. When he interceded for his people. The old Testament three or four or five times where people actually in their deep, deep groaning and prayer sounded like something other than a human being, and yet people would say that's all of the devil. I wish theologians would read the Bible. Let's go on. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Uh, on down in that verse: He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. It's the Father that searches the heart. He knows the Holy Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Father, that missionary in Africa, I have a burden, Lord. I don't know how to pray for that missionary. I know they're going through a hard time. Would you please, Father, tell the Holy Spirit to pray through me for that person. There's no point in asking the Holy Spirit because He doesn't do anything unless the Father tells Him. That's why Jesus said... Use my name, ask the Father. Isn't that right? Ask the Father. It's not wrong to address the Holy Spirit, but if he hasn't been told by the Father, he won't do it. You can talk to the Holy Spirit. Talks about in the New Testament having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, it says twice their fellowship with the Father, twice their fellowship with the Holy Spirit, three times their fellowship with Jesus. That should give us a very clear indication there. Gosh, he's king of the universe. He deserves my honor, my respect, and I stand in awe of him, And but he's also my daddy. So I'm going to crawl up in his lap and love on him tonight. Say, Daddy, put your arms around me. What that person said today is hurting. I need your love. Put your arm around me. I forgive them and all that stuff. Here's an interesting health thought. Doctors at all Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma were doing research on the relationship between the brain and praying or speaking in tongues, some amazing things were discovered through research and testing. They found that as we pray in the spirit, there is actually there is activity. Pardon me. That begins in our brain. As we engage in our heavenly language, the brain releases two chemical secretions that are directed into our immune system, giving a 35 to 40 percent boost in the immune system. This promotes healing within our bodies. Amazingly, this secretion is triggered from a part of the brain that has no other apparent activity in humans, and we don't use it. It is only activated when we pray in the Spirit. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Listen, we had a man that came to us from Florida for the seminar. He was retired now. But in our conversation, he said he was he was an assistant president of one of the departments of the Earl Roberts University. I said, oh man, I'm going to have a question for you. The man that did this research. Did you know him? He said I knew him well, and his research was done on an honorable basis. Listen, have you ever have you ever seen a dress you really want? Have you ever seen a car you really want? or a motor? Listen, we should be saying, I want the Holy Spirit more than anything else. So, if you are saying that, let's look at how we're supposed to receive it. Galatians 3.14 He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Let me work through that. He saved us. We are forgiven for our sins because of His death and resurrection. He saved us so that we could receive the promise given to Abraham, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I said that a while ago. I'm, now I'm giving you the verse. He didn't save us just so we could get to heaven. He saved us so we could receive the power, the promise of the Spirit. I can't explain it any clearer than that. He saved you, not just so you don't go to hell. He saved you so that we can demonstrate the power of God on planet Earth. So people will say, I need that. And the church will grow as it grew in the book of Acts as they grew for the first 400 years under these little apostles that said, do you, have someone, do you have somebody that has a need? As they prayed for them, and the whole Roman Empire, according to Ramsay McMullen, who's in the story, said the whole nation turned from paganism to Christianity. It doesn't mean everybody was a Christian, but there was enough Christians that it's now labeled as a Christian nation. Good grief. How can I ever say let's not bother with it. Or, it only causes trouble in the church. People people rolling on the floor, that yeah, causes trouble. It sure does, for Satan. Now, I've, I I, th- I think I've only seen that about once or twice where people are on the floor rolling back and forth. One of those in Grenada. We're down there with the Y1 people. They um, wanted to have an evening meeting with. For the whole staff, there's a guy there, he had to be about six foot six, and he had a pair of, of, of running shoes on. I think they were about size 47. And the Holy Spirit, hit we're all sitting around the room. We They wanted me to speak, but I said, I can't, I just sense God wants to do something. And after about two or three minutes of waiting, the Holy Spirit started hitting. Some, they start laughing. They start rejoicing. Some, some get baptized in the Spirit. I think I remember that correctly. But this great big guy who was very staunch and wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't say dirt if his mouth is full of it. He was so proper and so refined and I don't know what, I don't know where he came from, but he was a, he was a standard on that base of being solid and a firm believer and a firm guy. And um, the Holy Spirit hit him and he start rolling on that floor back and forth. It was a big room, almost as big as this first part, rolling back and forth. And those big flus go, boom, 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 boom. And the girl said to me the next day, a girl that didn't quite know whether this was really the Lord or not, and she said, if, God, if that happens to him, he didn't do it on purpose. He didn't do it because I know him. He would never do that. So she knew it was the Holy Spirit. But listen, I'm not ashamed. I've been to, the, I've been to meetings for things that have happened that were outside of the box that I grew up in. And I'm not ashamed of them. Some of them have happened to me. I'm not ashamed of them. I had a man one night say to me, You're at the meeting the other night. I said, Yeah, I was. He said, What are you doing Stand up on your shoulders? I said, What? Apparently, I was down the floor, and all of a sudden, my whole body went up like this, and I was simply on my shoulders and my head of me. Now, I knew it was the Lord, because none of the change in my pockets fell out. That's all, That's all. i that's I can't do that physically. And I thought I had just imagined that that, so I wasn't going to say anything about it. But he said, Howard, what were you doing to him now? And I'm not ashamed of that. That was the Holy Spirit. wasn't me. wasn't the devil. He does not want to make Jesus look good. And Jesus was preached that night. We need to obey the Lord. We have to have faith, first of all. We need to obey the Lord. Acts 5.32, we are witnesses of these things. So, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. No, He's given to those who obey Him. What's the obedience? First of all, saying, Lord, I want to obey You and receive the Holy Spirit. We need to ask without fear. Luke 11. I've had this asked. How do I know I don't get something? I counterfeit the devil. Listen to verse 11 to 13. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You ask the Father in heaven, use the name of Jesus if you want, but you ask Him, He will not allow the enemy to give you something fake. That's a promise. Then, we need to break the curse in our lives. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who owned a tree, and that's what Jesus did. It said He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So those two verses say this. The curse has to be dealt with first. I was under a curse because my church never taught on it. I never remembered reading it in the Bible about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so, in my mind, I'm now 30 about, and I say, I've never heard that before, therefore it must be wrong. It's not normal. It's a protective thing that God, so it must be wrong. However, the wise guy that prayed for me told me, well, why don't you you read the book of Acts? So I did. Totally messed me up as far as being an is concerned too. All of a sudden, I realized that that's what the book of Acts is about. The power, the gifts, all that stuff is in there. So, I had to get past it. And then we had to deal with some persons in our lives. And the Lord filled us with the Spirit. We need to receive prayer in Acts eight. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And now, after you've had prayer, I don't think anybody should get uptight because I I I don't feel anything. Some people do, some people do not. Some people notice a few days later, oh, I didn't have any feeling at the beginning. Well, I sure do now. It changes the way you read the Bible. One pastor said, Before I was spirit filled, I had trouble preaching, I had trouble getting sermons together. But he said, Now I'm filled with the Spirit, I can preach from the index. <laughs> you might have That one snuck up on you, didn't it? But He wants the fruit of the Spirit in our lives first. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. I'm emphasizing that. Because in the last 40 years of my charismatic life, i have got 45 altogether. That's the biggest mistake I think we made. We didn't focus on character. We focused on the power. The power isn't wrong. The gifts are not wrong. But they have to fit with the fruit of the Spirit. Or oh, they come off hard. And you're going to have people saying, if that's the way service is going to be run, I don't want a part of them. Because they see harshness. They see stuff that isn't gentle and kind. I'm not going to speak on the gifts. We don't have time. I'm not going to talk about more about the fruit. We don't have time. But I do want to say that anyone that wants the power of the Holy Spirit, it might be key to get someone who you know is genuine, pray for you. And do not give up until you've received it. That doesn't mean waiting ten days at the altar. It means having someone pray for you, maybe tarrying with you for a while as the King James said they did on Pentecost, waiting for it to happen. But in the days to come, whether it's your work, whether it's at school, whatever you're doing, to start to believe, God, I've I've had my prayer I've asked for, they've prayed for me. I'm asking you to pour it in, pour it in. You will know for sure when that happens, when the Holy Spirit starts speaking out of you. But you see, with my dad, my dad was a wonderful father, a godly man, loved the Lord, didn't say to me, but to my younger brother, he said, Albert, something I've always wanted is to be able to speak in tongues, but I've never been able to. Never been able to. He didn't have anybody pray for him. But he loved the Lord so much, I can hear him praising the Lord when he was in the back field driving a tractor without a muffler. We couldn't afford a muffler. You could hear him singing to the Lord over the noise of that tractor. He loved the Lord. I have no problem saying, my dad was filled with the Holy Spirit. I had no problem man from India that was part of our church. He was a missionary for a number of years. Came home, pastored a couple of churches before his retirement. He preached many times. He's a powerful preacher. He said publicly that he had never spoken tongues. I know that man was filled with the Holy Spirit. Somewhere he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I do not want to say you have to speak in tongues. I do say, after what I've said from Scripture, you should want to. It's a tool that God has given to us. as a It's a tool to, to raise up your faith, to pray for others, to thank them, praise the Lord. It's a tool that I encourage people to use every day, as often as you want. Driving in the car, cutting your grass, doing your dishes, doing the lot Just start praying in the Spirit. You can do it any time you want. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit's sitting there just waiting for you to open your mouth and give Him permission. Go ahead and do it. God, I ask in the name of Jesus that Your Holy Spirit would hear the hearts of these people listening to this message, that He would hear it and respond to them and do those things within Him. Each person, He would do them. Because they need the presence of God in their lives. They need the power of God First of all, to overcome temptation and evil, but also to be your witnesses. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.